I hadn't quite come to terms with my sexuality. I hadn't accepted it. Um, and I wasn't, yeah, ready to put it out there completely to the world. I get a phone call and it's, hey, you've been made redundant. And I'm like, ah. And I realized I'd been kind of bending my personality to fit the people I was surrounding myself with. Right, okay. And I didn't really know who I was. Today on the podcast, one of our amazing clients, Mr. Jay Beach. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. No problem. So where did Jay come from instead of Jake? Um, honestly, it's just something that kind of grew and stuck. Yeah. Um, no, actually, tell a lie. Tell a lie. <laughs> it happened because when I had my Birmingham accent and I would tell people my name was Jake, they would hear Jack, and then I'd have to try and tell them it's Jake, and it just kept happening. Yeah. And then I started just saying Jay, and then it kind of stuck. Um, so literally from the age of like 17, I just started going by Jay and it just oh, felt more, yeah. more me. More you. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Um, as I mentioned, you're on our amazing roster of talent and you're looked after by one of our amazing managers, Neve. Um, but we've not worked that closely together. So I think it'd be good to catch up and talk about your career um, and share some stories about, about you as a creator but also talk about things like your autism diagnosis, mm -hmm. um, something that I can hopefully try and relate to as I've got family members that are autistic um, and I'd love to hear and learn more about it. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people would. Um, but first of all, take me back to your childhood. What were you like as a kid? What were you like, you know, were you naughty, nice? Like what was your, your childhood like? I think I was a perfect mix of naughty at home, angel yeah. in front of everyone else. <laughs> Which I think was very, very annoying for my parents. Yeah. Um, because they'd be like, he's driving me mad. And then other people would be like, what are you talking about? Like, he's such a delight. He's so polite. He's so like kind and chill. And I was the complete opposite at home. Yeah. Um, I think I just let all my crazy out yeah. behind closed doors. Um, so I think I was a bit of a, a handful. Yeah. Um, I think from a very young age, my parents knew that they kind of had to just let me make my own decisions and go my own way mm. um, because I was very, very headstrong. And yeah. that's kind of been a running theme throughout the entirety of my childhood was like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And they'd be like, mm. <laughs> but I would do it. So it was yeah. just like, yeah, we have to <laughs> give him room to grow. And were, were you always creative as a, ch as a kid? Yeah, I always kind of bounced between different creative projects. I was never really locked in on one. Mm. So one day I'd be drawing everywhere and the next day it would be you know playing with cameras and yeah. um, dancing around to music always yeah um, there's a lot of very embarrassing videos that my dad has <laughs> locked away ready for the perfect time oh to God, you've, you've got to share them yeah you've got to people I, would I'm love it scared to look at them myself <laughs> <laughs> i was in a lot of places no, it's not ready for the public <laughs> yeah. no no amazing and so what about fashion because you're very fashionable far, far yeah. more fashionable than i am so you're making me feel very not very cool right now but were you always into fashion? Absolutely not. No? No. Wow. Um, so when did that surprise. start then? I would say probably a year before COVID. Yeah. And then it really hit its peak during COVID. Yeah. Um, but prior to that, I literally was just in skinny jeans and a t-shirt. And that was my go-to. Yeah. Um, growing up, I was in a baseball cap. Like yeah. basically every single day. You couldn't take it off me. Um, yeah, I really was not into exploring much. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that I didn't want to. It was that I just kind of had a lot of internalized homophobia, right, essentially, okay, okay. that stopped me from exploring that because I thought I had to present a certain way to right. be respected in a certain way. But really, it was just me kind of projecting my own internal um, issues. So, so yeah. you were kind of, what's so dressing a way that you thought that you were supposed to dress? Yeah, I was dressing in a way that made me present more masculine and made me feel a bit more manly, oh, okay. in a sense, um, just to kind of cover up that I hadn't quite come to terms with my sexuality, I hadn't accepted it. Um, and I wasn't yeah, ready to put it out there completely to the world. What, what talks to me about that process and like going through act, uh, you know, accepting yourself to be who you are, like how long did that take? And are you still going through it now? Cause I feel like when I speak to people about this and just, you know, speaking to people, whether it's in my family or my friends, it's kind of a thing that you're always going through. And it's not like you just come out the other side one day. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. I think, my journey definitely was sparked by moving to London when I was 18. Mm -hmm. And then it took a few years to finally kind of get there. But once I built that confidence up, I was able to kind of, I think I had this one like crucial year 
where I had stopped dating. I'd come out of a relationship. Yeah. Prior to that, I'd went into one relationship into the other, and I kind of just jumped from one to one. Mm. And I realized I'd been kind of bending my personality to fit the people I was surrounding myself with. Right. Okay. And I didn't really know who I was. So when yeah. I came out of that relationship, I basically spent a year just doing nothing. I'd go home, chill there, go to work, come home, go to work. Was this during lockdown? Um, This was before, just before before lockdown. lockdown. Okay. And I think that year really enabled me to kind of just reset, Mm. remove those kind of outside factors that were pulling me in one way or another and Mm. confusing me on who I was and what I liked. Mm. And that kind of opened the door then for me to start going back out into the world and, you know, just picking up things I liked when I went clothes shopping, mm, yeah. stop walking to the back where the men's section typically is <laughs> and, you know, keeping your eyes from grazing at the bright, colorful clothes in the women's section yeah. that normally I would never even dare look at. I stopped, I'd pick it up and go, actually, this is nice and pretty sure this would fit. <laughs> it is just a t-shirt after all. Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's in this section. And that's when I kind of, yeah, started to explore that side of me, okay. started to figure out myself a lot more. It's funny, isn't it? You end up like not just you, people in general end up projecting the people they're around in every facet. And sometimes it really takes you just being on your own, which can be lonely, really lonely sometimes. But sometimes that's the only way that you can find yourself. And that sounds like what you went through then. Yeah, exactly that. It definitely was lonely and it wasn't a great year in the slightest. Yeah. But it was so essential that I did that because it helped me just kind of like break this kind of repetitive pattern that I'd picked up over the years um, enabled me to really just look at my life going ahead. Mm -hmm. And literally from that moment, everything just domino effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, You know, it's the old, old adage and saying of, you know, you never, you can never really succeed in life until you are yourself because you're just then, you know, living a lie and you can't, you can't do the things you want to do because you're constantly thinking what you should be doing it's funny i was listening to a podcast the other day and i can't remember who it was but he was saying he hates the word should you should work less you should do this you should do that it's like who decided what you should should do um but talk to me about what you were doing before social media because we'll get on social media obviously but what were you doing before you post started posting on socials well funnily enough i was actually working in a very similar field yeah um so I started out working in social media, but as a content, kind of as a content creator behind the scenes. Yeah. So I'd be working in-house for brands, um, for charities at one point. Yeah. And I would be creating their content, mostly video content, Mm. looking towards social. And Mm. at that point, it was when you just started seeing an increase of videos on social media and Mm. brands were all kind of like wanting to do it, but very skeptical. Mm. Um, So yeah, it's kind of my job as the in-house creative to kind of push that. Mm. Um, and then that led to me joining an agency at one point, um, especially with the rise of TikTok. Yeah. Um, going to an agency where they kind of gave me free reign to really figure out how we sell and pitch TikTok to brands. Mm. So I was spending my days basically coming up with campaign ideas, finding creators, mm. um, and then going all the way through to production and sending the videos off to brands. So it was very, very similar. Yeah. Tell me about the story because I, I, I do know it. Tell me about the story of you being laid off during during covid yeah. right yeah. and then you made a video yes tell yes. me about that yeah so that was um it was already at the beginning of a very rocky year um so it <laughs> yeah. was you know only yeah. going to get better in my mind at yeah. that point um i started that year and i was a complete shell of the person i was prior to covid um yeah. because of being locked away so much i just had been removed from all of my sensory triggers um so before I knew it, I was just so overwhelmed by absolutely everything and just really lost. I didn't know why my brain was struggling so much, why I was having panic attacks going mm. into Tesco um, and why I couldn't sit on a bus without getting filled with rage and just feeling like I couldn't handle it. So I kind of retreated and was just stuck in my room. Mm. And it got to a point where I'd be looking at a screen and it would go blurry. I couldn't focus on anything. Um And that's kind of when the signs of work becoming a bit rocky started. Mm. Um, I was kind of having a week here and there off work. um, And then I got put onto furlough. Mm. And I was like, hmm, this feels like the beginning of the end for me. But at that time, I was discovering ADHD and I was trying to get my diagnosis. 
And then a few months later, I get my diagnosis. I'm like, okay, cool. We can, mm. we can start this new chapter. Yeah, yeah. And then the next morning, I get a phone call mm. and it's, hey, you've been made redundant. And I'm like, ah, cool. yeah, yeah, what was that like? Like, what was the, what was your thought process at that time? Honestly, I just went into a bit of, I had like a 30 minute panic. Yeah. And those 30 minutes was the end of the world. Yeah. I was like, what am I going to do? Looking at my finances, which were, terrible i wrapped up debt throughout the entirety of me being in london that i just never was kind of getting to a point of getting rid of mm. and because of that i was pushing it to the side you know hiding it ignoring it it doesn't exist if i don't look at it kind of vibe <laughs> it does exist yeah, yeah. it's real um <laughs> and now that you don't have a job and no money how are you going to pay your rent yeah so i just went into look these are the finances i have in four weeks if i don't have another job i don't have income coming I'm, that's it. It's done. I can't live in London anymore. I've got to move back with my parents. Mm. And the past eight years have just gone down the drain. Mm. So that's where my brain went straight away. But then I was like, okay, what can I do? How can I change this around? And how can I do it quickly? Mm. And I'd seen housemates that had gone through redundancy during COVID. And, you know, they'd spent six months applying and interviewing. And it just wasn't working for people in yeah. any field at that point. Yeah, no one was hiring. Exactly. And especially doing, you know, content and social media, it really required me to be able to be on location mm. in a company. And if you can't do that, yeah. it was a rocky position. Yeah. So I just thought I need to flip the game. I can't be going to employers and asking them to employ me because a million people are doing that. Mm. I need employers to be coming to me and asking me to join them. Yeah. I need to show them that I can do something different. So that's when the idea of, rewriting I'm coming out to I lost my job started um, and I basically rewrote the song recorded it in my bedroom of me singing that I've lost my job um, and I want the world to know redundancy is a HOE yeah um, <laughs> and I filmed a video to it dancing about you know big fur coat heels yeah pull it up and before I knew it it just went crazy um, it went really well on LinkedIn Really well on TikTok. And Did you a, have a following on TikTok at this point? I had about 30,000 followers on okay. TikTok because um, yeah. I just started kind of playing about with it. Mm. And that helped. But on LinkedIn, I had absolutely nothing. And yeah. before I knew it, the video was hitting a million views on LinkedIn. Um, and then the week after that mm. release went out, I had 40 interviews that week with different companies. Um, wow. It was absolutely insane. I was just back to back, booked out every single day, talking to different companies. Within two weeks, I had seven offers. And then after that, I was like, which one do I pick? And we kind of went into a bit of a bidding war. That's incredible. So it totally flipped yeah. everything. Um, I think it was really just good, different. It's yeah. a really good message to send to anybody who's going through anything similar right now, which I'm not saying that everybody can go and do that, but it, to get creative and not just send out a bunch of, CVs to people is probably a good a good piece of advice. Yeah, I think it's play to your strengths. Yeah. Like, yeah. if I was to send my CV out, I know I am the type of person that would just send the same CV and cover letter to everyone. Yeah, I wouldn't personalize it because no. it's just not my forte, and no one would see it. It would not mm. stand out in the slightest. Mm. So I had to lean on my strengths, which was video mm. and creative ideas. And then I guess at that point, I was just learning dancing around was kind of my thing too. So why yeah, not throw that in the mix? I, let, I didn't talk about this in your childhood, but you said you, there's loads of videos of you dancing around. But did, were you, did you ever have training, ever have lessons? It's just something that you naturally enjoy doing. Yeah, it's something I did a lot as a kid. Yeah. Um, I was always dancing and singing around, mm. always in the school plays. Um, but mm. then by the time I got to around 13 and we became a teenage boy, yeah. um, I stopped it. I literally just, it was like a switch in my head. I woke up one day and was like, nope, we don't do that yeah. anymore. And I kind of just then suppressed it for a good yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Um, and it's only during COVID that I actually kind of let that side of me back out again. Mm. So it's all a new but old thing. It's a, yeah. yeah, it's a weird one. So then you get inundated with offers and you have to choose one and you chose to go in-house, right? Uh, sorry, I forget the name of the... Uh, it was Crowdfunder. Crowdfunder. Yeah. And how long were you there for before... Because after that, it's full-time content creation. So how long were you there for before you were full-time 
Well, so it actually wasn't. There was um, another twist in the story. Okay. So six months after I accepted that offer, um, unfortunately, the company ran into some struggles and they had to make cuts. And of course, the marketing team were always the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So six months later, I was redundant again. Yeah. So I did a sequel, naturally, because at that point, after the first one, how else am I going to get a job? I kind of realized that was the only way for me from now on. Um, So I did I Will Survive and wrote that and yeah, pull it back out. Same thing happened. Yeah, did equally as well. Yeah, Um, Yeah. and I actually ended up going with the company that I was kind of in between two minds the first time around. Um, It came to the top two and I was like, well, what do I do? Um, But the winning one came through with a little bit of a higher offer Mm. and I just was like, okay, cool. Um, And it was more comfortable to do. It was in-house, I knew that. I was like, am I ready for agency life? Like, mm. I've just got my diagnosis. I think I'm yeah. a bit too fragile right now. Yeah. Um, but then by the time it came around, I think I just was like, no, actually, let's jump in the deep end. Mm. I can do this, let's go. Yeah. And so at what point were you like, I'm doing so much on social media. It's going really well for me. I'm gonna take this full time. I think it'd been in the back of my mind for a while. Yeah. Um, when I started the second job after mm. all of mm. the craziness that happened with my getting a job videos, um, LinkedIn actually reached out to me and wanted me to join them in a six month partnership. Mm. And that happened at the exact same time as my new job. Mm. So it was kind of the first taste of, wait, this could be a career Yeah. at the same time as me starting a new career. Mm. So it was kind of a juggle. I was like, how do I, manage both of these Mm. and both of them were quite demanding they need a lot of time Mm. so I just let it be I was like let's just keep going keep going um be responsible think of it as a short-term thing so I jumped into content creation alongside my job I used that to set myself up so I was like how can I secure my my future save for a deposit yeah yeah buy a house Mm. get on the ladder do those kind of like adult mundane things. Yeah, like that, the safe things. Yeah, the yeah, things yeah. that I typically would normally run away from. Yeah. I was like, no, no, like we can go a little bit wild after, <laughs> but let's just refrain for a bit. Yeah. Um, and that's what I did. I kind of set myself up. But then I just realized that it was getting bigger and bigger than I ever imagined it could be. Mm. I was seeing more and more opportunities that I just never dreamed of being able to have. And I thought, now's the time, like take that leap. Mm. give it a go if it doesn't work out I can always go back and go back to the career I've worked on for Mm. years like I know I have the skills and me diverting into this isn't going to harm that if anything Mm. it's going to help it what would your advice be I guess for other creators out there that have a have a a second job or you know their full-time job and they're umming and ahhing and trying to make that decision what's your advice for them about how and when to make that decision I think I definitely know that I didn't do it at the right time. I should have done it earlier. Mm. I think I ignored the signs of me burning out Mm. and pushed myself to keep going because it was scary. Mm. And it always is going to be scary. You're taking a leap of faith. Um, And it is going into the unknown of, you know, is this secure? Yeah. No, it's not. (laughs) That's the reality. It's not secure, but it's going to make you happy. Yeah. And when I did make that switch, I was like, I'm going to go like, 100 miles an hour into this new job. And actually I went into it and just was like, I am so burnt out, I need a break, I need to chill. Um, So my advice would be kind of pay attention to your brain, your body. Do it when it's right, but do it when it's necessary. Mm. Take the the chance Mm. and just know you can go back. You can always go back to that job, that industry. Yeah, it's just... You never know unless you try, never right? Know, exactly. You, you never know. Exactly. What I love about your content is that you're just so unapologetically yourself. Was that hard to begin with? Like just to just be yourself? Because you talked about, you know, trying to fit into a box when you were younger to share it with that many people. Because even when you've got 30,000 people, that's a lot of people to be, to be you know, bearing yourself. And you, you are just yourself online. Was there a time where you didn't feel comfortable doing that? Yeah, there's definitely been a few times. Um, 
And I think actually where I'm at now is mm. a result of that. Yeah. I think at the beginning, I was sharing too much. Right, okay. I was showing the fun, joyful, you know, fashionable side. But at the same time, I started another account to share my journey of ADHD. Mm. And that was a completely unfiltered, raw, pure emotion mm. account where I was just sharing every single moment, the hard times, the times where I just was like, I don't know if I can get through this. Mm. And it was amazing in one sense because it was helping so many people. Yeah. And the messages I would get from them saying like how much yeah. it's helped them was just overwhelming. I was yeah. like, whoa, I did not realize I could have that impact. But then there was this one time where I was on holiday and I met someone who saw my videos and they started talking to me about mm. my journey and kind of bringing up personal facts. And mm. I was like really thrown off. I was like, whoa. Yeah. How do you know this? And I was like, well, what do you mean? How do they know this? They know this because you've put it all over the internet, Jay. You've shared it with everyone. Yeah, you've told everyone. And I didn't realize that me talking to a camera alone in a room and putting it online, that felt safe and it was easy and comfortable. Mm. But was I actually comfortable at that time to talk to people that I don't know mm. about this? Mm. But by me doing that, I'm literally opening the conversation. And yeah, it's in the comment section, so it's fine. It feels, again, it doesn't feel real. But when yeah. that person's in front of you and they're a real human being yeah. that you do not know and they just bring it up, you're like, whoa. And it kind of shook me a bit. And I was like, okay, I think I need to take a step back and share what I'm comfortable with and focus on that side of things. And then once I've built that up, I can start sharing more of the other things. Mm. But let's ease into this. Let's not just dive in yeah. and just assume you're comfortable and like happy with everything because you're not um and yeah it's kind of led me to this journey that i'm at now where mm. the majority of my content is all focused on just the positives and the yeah. joyful side of it yeah yeah and that has been amazing and it's brought what i wanted to bring to social media which was a mm. bit of a break from the constant yeah, I love negativity yeah. yeah but now i think i'm at that point where i'm like okay actually i can open up more now i can show that joyful side but i can mm. start sharing the more serious side of me but mm can talk about autism, can talk about my ADHD, because I'm now finally comfortable and accepting of it myself. Is it, was it just a, a comfortable and an accepting thing? Or was, was it also, you know, some people sometimes don't want to talk about things because they, maybe they've got like, I wouldn't say an imposter syndrome, but just like you hadn't done the research and you hadn't been, because you were just going through this journey yourself, right? Was there an element of you not wanting to talk too much about it because you were having these people like be like, ask you all these questions and you were like, I don't really know how to answer this. Yeah, that was absolutely one of the things in there as well. It was yeah. very overwhelming. Yeah. It's like, I'm not an expert. I'm literally someone living through it. Yeah. And I get it because the questions they were asking, I was looking for those answers too. Mm. And the information just isn't out there. So it, it really did require a kind of movement online of people sharing their raw experiences mm. to help others get that diagnosis. That's exactly what yeah. got me to this stage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of pressure to put on someone who's just trying to figure out because it yeah. is a life-changing thing. It's, it triggers so much. It triggers a grieving process. It triggers mm. a whole new way of thinking of life. It puts you into a position where you have to sit there and go, wait, I'm disabled. I have a disability. Mm. I never knew this. Mm. I can't do things the way people do them. I am always going to be different. That's a lot to take in, in one moment. A lot. Quite liberating at some point. Because I, I can imagine. Because how old were you when you got your ADHD diagnosis? I was 26. So I don't know much about it. And this is what I would love to talk to you about. But I'm assuming that's quite old to be diagnosed. So was it quite a liberating thing to go, ah, this is why certain things are different for me? Because I'm assuming this has been happening in all your life. Yeah, no, it absolutely is a a kind of sigh of relief. But at the same time as that relief, yeah, you just get this overwhelming stream of emotions come yeah, through. Yeah, of course. And okay. for me, that was like revisiting so many scenarios from the past. Yeah, 
where you just kind of want to go back into that version of yourself and okay. just scream, this is what it is. Yeah. This is why this is happening to me. Yeah. And you obviously can't change the past. Mm. So you're thinking of past relationships, past friendships, mm. works, like managers, jobs, all these things mm. where there's been an issue and that issue is typically always the same thing. Mm. And it's literally just because your brain is different. Yeah. And you're fighting against it. They're fighting against it. Neither of you are going to win. No. But, you know, it ends in the point where I would, you know, have to quit my job or mm. I would end relationships or I'd lose friends. Mm. And you just kind of get hit with it. And you're like, wow, I feel like I've missed out on so much because I did not have this one simple piece of information to guide me through my life. What And, and what was the, the trigger to get a diagnosis? Like, because... As I say, it seems like a quite an old time to get it. What, what what triggered you to go and even look at this? It was all by accident. It was literally just, I was struggling so much with sensory overload. Yeah. And I didn't understand what it was or why it was happening. Yeah. Um, but I'm also not the type of person to have an issue and just let it be. Mm. I've always been, if there's something wrong, I have to get to the bottom of it and I have to fix it. And it becomes something I can hyper-focus on. Mm. And researched until the day I die, until mm. it is fixed. Mm. So when that was happening to me, I was like, I need to figure this out. And it was just by chance that the TikTok for you page threw an ADHD video onto mm. my timeline. I'm scrolling through and I'm like, wait, everything you're saying is what I feel. Mm. And then that triggered that, you know, constant research, finding videos, sending them to my friends, sending them yeah. to family, being like, this is literally me. And they're like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that is you. Good point. <laughs> and that's what triggered it was yeah. just, yeah, I needed to get to the bottom of why I was struggling so much. And and what were some of those things? Like, because ADHD is different for a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. And it's different in, it's different in different people. It's, it, it's just not the same for everybody. So what were some of the, I guess, cues for you? Like what were in that, what were those things in that video? And you were like, yeah, I think I've got that. There was honestly so much. I realized that I was literally the poster child for ADHD, but for some reason I never got the diagnosis. But it was the random burst of energy. Right. Um, I've always had that. I've like my energy is like a roller coaster and right. it's up and down all day. It changes by the hour, by the minute. Yeah. And I have no control over it. Mm. I can't predict when it's going to happen. Um, so one minute I will literally be bouncing around the room and I can't sit still. And the mm. next minute, I will sit down, go completely silent and won't make eye contact with anyone. I'm just zoned out. I'm mm. done. And it's me recharging for that next burst. Yeah. There was that. There was the the focus of I could read an entire page, but I could not tell you a single thing I've read. But I have read every single word in my mind. Mm. They just do not form a sentence. It's like I'm going through the page and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait, what was that? So I'd have mm. to go back and read it again and again and again. And if there was a big document with a lot of writing on it, yeah. I couldn't bring myself to take it in the slightest. Um, those were two little things. I mean, there was stimming. I was constantly making noises. Like I used to make pigeon noises randomly around the house. Little pterodactyl screams is what my housemate would call it at one point. Um, I would randomly just bang on the kitchen cupboards for no reason. And sometimes it would just happen and I'd be like, ah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. that really hurt. And my housemate would be looking at me like, you're okay, mate. <laughs> like, mm, yeah. All these little things that I just did and just thought that was the way things were. Mm. Um, that yeah, they You thought that. everybody would just, just did that. Yeah, well, I just was like, oh, that's just what I do. But yeah, you know, it is what it is. Um, and what's the process of getting diagnosed like? Is it a quick, easy process or is it, is it quite difficult? It's the least ADHD friendly thing in the world. <laughs> Ironically, um, it's loads of documents, loads of questionnaires, and it yeah. was not easy. I, there was one point where one of them, I just couldn't do it. And I literally just sat there and cried because I was like, I can't fill out these questions. Mm. It's a million things about how you were as a child, how you were as an adult. And they're just so long and lengthy. And you have to give detailed explanations. And yeah. then there's one where you have to get your... Um, parents to do it and I remember calling my mom being like can you do this questionnaire and then even she was like I can't do this so then I had to sit on the phone with her and mm. kind of talk to her ask her the questions write down her responses does she have ADHD 
she's not diagnosed, but yeah. Because is it hereditary? <laughs> yes. So wow, ADHD, okay. autism, it does typically run in families, yeah. which is also why a lot of people don't get diagnosed. Because their parents are like, oh, we're all like this. Yes. It's yeah. just this is what the family's like. Yeah. So you're not actually weird yeah. at home. Um, and that was definitely the case with me, I've noticed. Right, with okay. Both my parents. I'm like, <laughs> no wonder. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. So once you've gone through the ADHD diagnosis, what triggered you to get tested for autism? The trigger for that was actually medication. Right, okay. So I started taking ADHD medication and that was a whole roller coaster journey in itself. It was not mm. an easy ride. Mm. Um but once I did settle on the medication, I found the one that worked. Mm it didn't solve the bits I secretly wanted it to solve. Mm. There was parts of me that I was really hoping I'd take this magic pill and they would just, quote, fix. And once that didn't happen, it led me to think something else must be going on here. And I did know that when I was doing my research that if you have a neurodiversity, you typically have another. Like there's a higher chance of you having more than one. So if you are dyslexic, you might also have ADHD. Right. If you are autistic, you might be dyspraxic. There's, they kind of go hand in hand at some point. Okay. And that did then lead me into a deeper research. And I was like, mm, okay. And it was a lot of the sensory things with the autism side that rang really true to me. Um, hmm. Things that I'd always done that I just didn't even think of as a sensory Trigger. Like what kind of things? So since I was a baby, mm. I could not get water on my face unless it was getting taken off. And to this day, when I wash my hair in the shower, I do it and my face doesn't get wet. I've mastered it. Head back, runs here, but it never comes down here. And if it does, <laughs> it sends me into a panic and I have to get out and wipe it off. Is that difficult with the beard? With the beard, I've had to adjust that over the years. <laughs> so now I can get just the beard wet in the okay, shower. Okay. And just the hair. But this Not, bit, yeah, yeah. the eyes, they never get water on. Right, okay. And I remember mentioning that to my mom mm. when I was talking to her about this. And she was like, oh yeah, you were like that as a kid. I had to mm. literally like put something over your face so we could wash your hair in the bath. Mm. And I was like, and you didn't think? No. And that didn't trigger any thoughts? Anything, yeah. Um, so it was stuff like that that really got me, you know, um, I can wear clothes and I love clothes, mm. but they are the most uncomfortable things mm. to me in the world. Yeah. I'd always go home and relax in a pair of jeans. I'd wake up and get dressed in a pair of jeans. Um, and my housemates would just be like, Jay, it's lockdown why don't you have any joggers? Like, yeah. chill out. And I was like, because in my brain, I can wear a pair of joggers, I can wear a pair of jeans. They both feel the same to me. They're both annoying. Right, okay. They're on my body. So it doesn't matter which one I pick, but yeah. in this one, I feel I can be more productive because mm. this is a get things done outfit, yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas that's a lounge outfit. Yeah. So I always just went to the get things done outfit. And I know we've spoke before when we, when we met a few, probably a couple of months ago now, when you are in the office talking about lights and how yes. lights would affect you. So talk, for anyone that doesn't understand how that works, what, what's that experience with light like with you? I think the best analogy and where I can speak about it is, you know if you are taking a video or a mm. photo on your phone and the flash is on, mm. or there's a flash coming from somewhere and it overexposes a part of the photo. Mm. That's how my vision sometimes feels mm. if there's very bright light. So if I'm walking around a supermarket, it feels like the top part of my vision is overexposed. Mm. There's this bright light that's just pushing down and it's so distracting that it's just one of those things that I'm like, just turn it off, like get it yeah. out. And the second that light dims, mm. I can see clearer and that calms me down a bit. Yeah. So it's almost, yeah, it's like, Overhead lighting is just not the one for me at all. Lamps are beautiful. We love them. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard to explain, but yeah, it's just, yeah, that's yeah. the best way I can explain it. It's just it's an overexposure above my head. So the, the conversation of autism fascinates me because as I was saying to you, and I've said to you before, my, one of my older cousins has autism, mm -hmm. but I know very little about it. And it's, 
it's just something that I've never looked into. I've just always, my cousin Antonio, it's always been like, he's autistic and like that's the way he is, but I've never gone into why is he like that? Or I never did any research into the whole premise of the, you know, the spectrum of autism and the fact that not everybody's got autism is exactly the same. So I'm fascinated to, to speak to somebody like you that's done a lot more research into this and kind of talk about what is autism? Like, what is it in a nutshell? That's it's exactly that. It's not one thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why so many people are undiagnosed mm. is because I know from personal experience, I never even considered the idea of autism because mm. I, I'm not autistic. Yeah. It's how I would look at it mm. because you kind of are brought up with this societal vision of autism mm. and you think of a character. You don't think of a human being. You yeah. think of Sheldon Cooper from the Big Bang Theory. Mm. You think of those highly intelligent, non-emotional characters. Yeah. And that wasn't me. If anything, I'm overly emotional. I'm overly empathetic. Mm. But you're just not educated and there's no resources really out there that are just accessible mm. that tells you that autism can be a multitude of things. You can be extremely empathetic and that can be one of your symptoms of mm. autism is feeling things way too intensely and feeling everyone's emotions too much and that's why you get overwhelmed. And mm. it's just, yeah, it's one of those things where you can't really put a pin on what it is. Mm. If you go to the science, it's a neurodiversity, it's your brain being wired differently um, to a neurotypical brain. But the traits that you have are gonna be completely independent to you and mm. who you are. Um, and I think that's why medically they've gotten rid of calling it kind of, um, they used to break it down into a spectrum of right. different disorders okay. within. Okay. So you'd have Asperger's and stuff like that. And they've yeah. actually now got rid of that because they've realized that was still trying to put a condition that can't be put into one box into boxes. Right. And they thought if we put it into, let's say, five boxes, yeah. that solves the problem, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's like, no it's, no, it's just autism is the diagnosis, but how it affects you as a person is yours. It's, you can have shared things, but it's never going to be a similarity between everyone. It's not mm. one condition. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things you just can't pull it down to. What's life been like since you were diagnosed with both ADHD and autism? Because I'm assuming there's aspects of it that have been easier and some aspects have been harder. Yeah. So talk, what, what has it been like since you've been diagnosed? It has been, I'd say, a nonstop journey. I mean, mm. I literally only got my autism diagnosis three months ago. Yeah. Now, the blessing and the curse of trying to get these diagnoses in the UK is that the wait times are extremely long. Mm. So you can go about it one or two ways. I know some people that have been waiting for diagnosis and have just waited. And then there's the way that I kind of went about it. I know a few other people that have done it that way too, that's gone, okay, I'm in the process of getting this diagnosis. I'm going to live as if I already have it. I'm going to do the work I need to do as if I have it. And if I don't, we'll revisit. Um, so that helped me that by the time I got my diagnosis, um, they told me and I just went, cool. Mm. I was like, great, thanks. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> because I'd spent the past year leading up to that, looking into it, accepting it, and working on how it affects me. Mm. Um, the journey is a lot of relearning. Mm. And there's so many stages of it. You know, there was the stage of grief that I mentioned earlier. And then there's the stage of kind of using it as an excuse, which I definitely did yeah. a few times. Yeah. Where I would say I'm not doing that or I'm not sorry that I said that or I came off that way mm. because of this, because I'm autistic, because I have ADHD. Mm. And then kind of having to then relearn that and going, that's it's very interesting. It's very honest of you to say that. I think um, it's something everyone has. Do you, do you feel guilty for saying that? Like not, it's not for saying it for doing it or are you, cause I would say that's quite a, you know, you do have autism, you do have ADHD. So why can't you say that? I think it's finding that balance and that's what that journey kind of got me through was at the beginning, it was like a free pass, mm. right? It's an excuse card. Mm. And 
because I have this and because things have been difficult for me, yeah. maybe if I am having an argument, I can use it. Maybe I can be like, well, no, these are my needs and that's all that matters. Mm. And taking a step back and kind of looking at it and going, okay, that frustration's out now. I think yeah. that came from a place of frustration at the fact that I had spent 26, 27 years of my life having to bend to society, having to bend to a neurotypical way of doing things mm. and putting my needs to the side constantly. Mm. So when I got that verification, when I got that kind of pass to say, actually, no, I took standing up for myself too far mm. and I used it as an excuse too much. Yeah. And I, I've noticed it's something a lot of people have done that have this kind of path and it makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very, it's very understandable, and I think that it's incredible. It's, it's got to be incredibly hard to know whether or not you're, you know, ha having an argument because you're just having an argument, mm -hmm. and because things are just annoying at that time, or if it is related to the ADHD or the autism. And I guess that's quite a difficult thing for you to figure out. And then that just throws in a whole new, whole new thing to think about of like, why do I feel like this? Whereas someone who doesn't have it, it's just like, I'm just in a mood. So you're now having to think about something again and it's got to be quite difficult. It is, but I think the conclusion I ended up coming to mm. was it's not an excuse, it's a part of me. Yeah. And demanding and asking for my needs is acceptable, 100%. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I can't acknowledge and try mm. to understand other people's feelings in mm. a scenario. Mm. So I can ask for people to accommodate my needs and bend slightly. Mm. But if they are asking from a genuine place of, but actually I kind of need you to meet me halfway, then I need to find a way to meet someone halfway. Um, it's not about prioritizing my needs completely. Mm. It's about expressing and understanding other people's needs and finding that healthy ground because it's it never works if you just become the thing that had suppressed you for so many years yes right yeah, if yeah. i become the thing that i hated which was having to conform to neurotypical ways by making people that are neurotypical conform to my neurodivergent ways uh, that doesn't solve the problem no. does it it's just constant friction instead i'm a bit more like okay take a step back like if i go quiet for example mm. with my partner and he's asking are you okay and i'm like yeah, in the past, I'd get annoyed that they're asking me constantly because I'm like, there's nothing wrong with me. Mm. But now I know they're asking that because my face is completely blank. I look like I'm having the worst time of my life and yeah, in my head, I'm happy as ever. But every time they ask me something, I'm giving a one-worded answer. Mm. I'm not making any eye contact. I'm not doing anything. I look yeah. like I don't want to be there. Yeah. So as much as it can be annoying, I can't go and get snappy and be like, I'm fine, I'm autistic. I have to be like, yeah, oh, yeah. wait, yeah, sorry, I'm good. I'm just shut off a little bit now. Uh, yeah. Problem I, solved. I love what you're saying. Not becoming the thing that you, you know, you said you hated for so long and just saying it, it is just part of me. What, so, because I think a lot of people who listen to this who are going through their own journey of learning about their autism or their ADHD, I think some people even maybe might listen to this and be like, that sounds like me. I do all those kind of things. Kind of how you saw that TikTok mm -hmm. video. But then they might be like, I don't want to go get diagnosed. Like it takes so long. And then also what happens after you get diagnosed? Like, am I getting put on medication? Do I need to go through like certain types of therapy? Like what has your journey been like after? Like what kind of support did they give you? And I say they, and I don't even know who they are. But like, what is it like after? If I'm being completely honest, the support is very minimal. Yeah. Especially as adults, because yeah. the medical field has not kind of caught up to the idea of, oh, mm. wait, we missed a bunch of kids. What do we do now? It's mm. we're at that stage now where they're going, oh, OK. And I mean, for years, they would say autistic children will grow out of it. ADHD children will grow out of it. And there's still people to this day that had a diagnosis as a kid that believe they're not autistic or have ADHD anymore because they believed that what they were told, they're going to grow out of it. And yeah, yeah. they go into adulthood thinking, yeah, I'm good. I was just a very hyper child. 
And it's like, no, you are still, <laughs> you don't realize. But I'd say like when I had that process, you kind of have to advocate for yourself and do the work yourself. Mm. And it's sad, but I'd say it's good in one sense because it enables you to really take control of it, do it at your pace. Mm. Um, but of course, you always want someone to be there to kind of guide you through it and hold your hands. So the only advice I can give on that aspect is use social media for mm. that. The information is out there. The videos are there. They extremely helpful there's a lot of incredible creators out there that guided me through my journey yeah and i still watch now even though i'm yeah. completely at the other end of it just because <laughs> it's nice to just feel seen sometimes and then the other piece of advice is to confide in someone you know yeah find that person you're going to have them they might not even be the person you think is going to be the one that's going to help you through it but be open and honest with the people around you you'll be surprised at how much they can help, mm. even if they don't understand. Mm. Them just helping you process things and bouncing things off, mm. that's always been a massive help for me is being able to speak things. Um, if you internalize it, you can't bounce that off. You can't accept it. You can't come to terms with it. So yeah, it's a lot of work that you have to do, but it I, is worth it. I do. And I, I know you, you mentioned you had that second channel where you talked about ADHD and you kind of pulled back from it and you... And I, I do think one of the best things about your social media is that it's just positivity constantly. And I, I think it's incredible because there's not enough of that. There's mm -hmm. not enough where people aren't showing off either how fit they are or how many clothes they have or, you know, how much, you know, makeup they can buy or, you know, there's, or there's a lot of negativity online and we know how the algorithm loves to feed negativity. So I love that everything's positive. And I'm not saying that this conversation can't be positive, but it, I think it's going to be so important for you mm -hmm. to keep sharing your story because you're becoming that person that you needed and those people that you say you still follow that you you had when you were going through this. And even just like having conversations like this and talking about it more, you know, even if just one person listens to this mm -hmm. and goes, that is, that is exactly what I've got. It's just an incredible thing to be doing. Um, to go on to your social media, I know we bounced around on that a little bit and I do want to talk about it. What's your advice for people on socials right now? Because socials is this like weird and wonderful world of constantly posting and commenting and trying to come up with new ideas. And if, if, you, if you were talking to, you know, an 18 year old now that's trying to get into social media and wanting to be a content creator, what would your advice be for how to get into it, but not just how to get into it, but how to enjoy it? I would say the biggest thing and it's what actually held me back from growing and progressing in it for ages. Yeah. Was you're constantly told you have to follow the trends yeah. and, you know, find what's doing really well that month in your niche and find your niche, all these little things. And it becomes such a task from the get go that yeah. you actually start creating things you don't enjoy. Yeah purely because you're trying to meet the demands of what you think you need mm. to see success. You have to post this much. You have to, you know, do your stories this much. And it just drains the joy out of why you're creating the content. You've gone into it because you're passionate. Mm. If you go into it trying to just focus on the analytics, it just crushes you. It just, it dampens mm. your kind of joy. And yeah. for me, that turning point was when I was like, I'm just going to do this because I want to. I'm going to do this video because I think it'll be fun. Mm. And yeah, not all of them did well. Sometimes at the beginning, you'd pull it up and it's like, this is the video I've worked the hardest on. It's yeah. like such a passion video. I've rewatched it a million times because I'm happy with it. Mm. And then no one watches it and it's crushing. Mm. And then you're like, oh, I'll jump on this trend and do that and it'll get loads of views. <laughs> but ultimately that wasn't bringing me joy. It wasn't making me happy with what I was doing. Um, it just took consistency and staying true to what I like, what I want to put out. Mm. That's what got me where I am now. So yeah, my advice is just show up completely authentically you. Mm. Be unique, do what you enjoy and other people will find it and enjoy it too because it's yeah. real. Um, don't try and just copy what everyone else no. is doing. No, don't try and be somebody else. But how do you, how do you come up with your video ideas? 
like how does this happen like do because I'm, I'm fascinated when i speak to different creators on our roster about it because some of them for example like monica on our roster she has a note on her phone and has hundreds of ideas and she just like goes to it and she's like right i'll do that and then she'll keep adding to it other people are just like i just wake up in the morning and i just film what i think i'm going to film what's your process like i'm definitely the second version <laughs> yeah. i've tried yeah. to be someone that's like okay i'll have a filming day and i'll yes. write down my ideas yeah, yeah. and then i get to it and i don't want to do that anymore that's not that's not today yeah and then i'll film it watch it back and i'm like that's going nowhere mm. because I can just tell in my face, I'm not having a good time. Yeah, It's always just led by what inspires me that day, that morning. Mm. And for me, it is a lot of music. That's what yeah. always kind of triggers a thought is I'll listen to something and I'm like, mm. gotta go, like, yeah, gotta yeah. go film now, set the camera up, it's time. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, a weird one because you want to be organized, you want to be ahead of the schedule because you know mm. what if something happens that day and you can't film now and oh no you've not posted today and it's the end of the world because you've not you've ruined your streak <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but ultimately it's just yeah I had to focus on putting out content that I enjoy making because mm. then people enjoy it too yeah um, and yeah it's, it's not a planned thing at all no and I, like you were saying I think it's the best piece of advice you can give to any creator is just do the stuff that you love creating because also it is a lot of work mm -hmm. there's a lot of editing there's a lot of smiling and putting on a brave face sometimes and i'm not saying it's the hardest job in the world by any means but there is a lot of work that goes into it and if you're making content that you do not love you will never succeed in mm -hmm. social media because it is it's it's all encompassing once you take it full time you're constantly on your phone, you're constantly thinking of ideas, you're constantly filming, editing, like I say, engaging with your audience. And if you're doing all that around a, a subject matter or a type of content that you hate, it's just never gonna, you're never gonna really dive into it. How do you find the engagement of social media? You talked about meeting somebody in person. What has it been like having these thousands of people messaging you constantly? Has it been something you enjoy? Has it been something that, has been overwhelming and how are you dealing with it? So I'd say it's definitely overwhelming. Yeah. Um, it's such a drastic change mm. and it happens so quickly. Yeah. And I think the first time it really hit me, I remember being, going out for drinks after work, after having a really bad day yeah. with a couple of colleagues and we just wanted to go to the pub, drink wine and vent. I was not in a good mood. I was just yeah. like, I need to get this out so yeah. I can go to work tomorrow. Yeah. And being in the pub, I had someone come over and they recognized me. And I was like, oh, okay. Change it up. You're happy. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and then go back to ranting. Cool. Yeah. And then it happened again. And I was like, <laughs> okay, happy again. Yay. Yeah. And then turn back and go about work. And it happened multiple times that night. Mm. And I ended up just going home because I was like, I really just need to rant mm. and get this frustration out of me. But now I feel I need to be social media, Jay. Yeah, I need to be that person because I don't want to let anyone down. I don't want to disappoint them. I don't yeah. want them to meet a version of me they don't see online and yeah. think that it's all a facade. But the reality is obviously that's part of my personality, but mm. I'm a human being and we have a range of emotions and yeah. catch me at one time and I might be the complete opposite. Yeah. Um, it's just it's the way it happens, right? It's life. But it put me in that feeling of being pressured of like, mm. I need to uphold this appearance. I need to be this character constantly. Mm. And every time I would get recognized and someone would say hi, it would trigger that thought in my brain of, okay, now I need to continue mm. being that person. And it took a while for me to kind of realize that actually I need to just let it be and mm. not think about it too much, not worry about it too much and just hope that if people do meet me and I'm a bit quiet or I'm not as bouncy and bubbly as I am online, that I'm a human being and that's just the mood I was in that day and it's nothing personal. I, I'll never be rude. Um, I'll always be friendly and say hi and, you know, take a photo if you want and stuff like that. But... Mm. It was that adjustment of going, oh, wait, 
I, I'm not under the radar anymore. I can't yeah. walk through the street and just not exist. Mm. It was like, I felt like I was being watched a lot and it was overwhelming. Yeah. Um, but now I, I'm at a point where I just see it for how great it is and how much yeah. of a privilege it is. And every single person that's come over to me, there's not been one negative experience. Yeah. Everyone has been unbelievably lovely. And it, it just makes it so much more worth it. Because mm. I think when you're watching through the comment section and you're seeing positivity, it's easy to breeze over it because you've seen one negative con comment. Mm. And that's what you latch onto and that's what you just focus on. And mm. I think that's a common theme with a lot of creators everyone or just anybody in general you're gonna you're gonna if somebody could call you beautiful 10 mm -hmm. times and if one person calls you ugly you go oh shit maybe i am ugly what about like how do you deal with any of that negativity like how has that affected you it's it has its moments there's definitely been one or two times where i'm just like that's it never doing this again yeah <laughs> I'm, delete <laughs> I'm deleting tiktok yeah um but the way I've always got through it was actually through finding the humor in it, mm. which might be a weird coping mechanism. But for me, I would literally just start reading the negative comments mm. and just trying to find the creative ones. Because mm. nine times out of 10, they're copy and pasted. Yeah, you yeah. could literally just screenshot and be like, look, there's a million of them. They're all the exact same comment. Mm. They're not original. Um, they probably are copy and pasted, actually. Yeah. And they just scroll through and just post it on yeah. everything they see. Um, so at the beginning, I would just kind of, yeah, find those like ones that are a bit more creative and then send a screenshot to my friends and be like, lol, like, <laughs> that's actually a good one. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's pretty accurate. Yeah, fair yeah, enough. I kind of made light of it. And yeah. I learned to just, you know, laugh at myself to not take it too seriously. Um, obviously, there's some that do cross the line mm. and they are like, whoa, that's yeah, yeah. a lot. You should not be saying that to people ever let alone a random video you've seen. Yeah. Um, but it is projecting, you know, I've spoke about internalized homophobia. I understand projecting because those were the kind of thoughts that were in my head. So yeah. when people do come at me with gay comments and stuff like that, I'm just like, I actually kind of understand it because for so long I thought it. So now I know it's projecting. Mm -hmm. I know it's not my problem, it's mm -hmm. their problem. Um, and yeah, I just brush it off, laugh at it, let it be. Um, it's not my problem. I'm I'm glad because it's. I, I truly do mean this. Your your socials and your channel are some of the most positive I've ever come across. And I would hate for one second for you to ever feel like oh, I just don't want to do this because you're spreading so much positivity and you're you're bang on when you say it's a projection nine times out of ten. There are just some arseholes out there. There's always going to be. But a lot of the time it is a projection thing. And I think it's incredibly mature and wise of you to be like, I can see why they're doing this. Um, Jay, I've loved talking to you. My, I've got two final questions. Okay. First one is, did that tattoo hurt? Oh my God. How? Yes. How did I, how? For the camp, for the camp. Yes. Um, it, honestly, I didn't plan this. This was not intentional. I went to a flash day. Um, a tattoo studio and they were giving free tattoos it was mid-december i got there at 7 a.m on a sunday and it was in like south london i'm yeah, yeah. in east london it, it took a good hour and a half to get there oh i get there at 7 a.m and there's 100 people in the queue already wow so i very quickly i'm like um maybe i'm not gonna get this tattoo i stood in that queue until about 1 p.m freezing yeah i ordered mcdonald's a couple of times <laughs> it's just it was like trying to get through yeah, and yeah. then at one point someone's walking along the line um one of the people from inside that work there and they just are like anyone for a palm anyone for a palm and my hand just went up i didn't think about it didn't process it i just was like yep me i'll go look at my friend who's like jay <laughs> are you sure um, yeah. and before i know it i'm just following this woman into the shop she takes me straight to the seat i sit down he's like got six designs in front of him he's like which one and i'm just uh that one and like that's it he just Put my hand down. It's got to have been painful. It was horrific. How do you even stay still when they're... So that's... that's you go, the, you're probably going like that constantly, right? That's the issue. So he didn't strap my arm down. Oh so my, my hand God. was just there. So I knew I couldn't move. So I was like, I'm not messing this up because I'm never getting this done again. 
So I put all of my pain and strength into my other arm, which was holding onto the bottom of my seat. Yeah. I didn't realize I was sat on a foldable chair. Oh my God. So I put so much power into my one arm that I folded myself in on my chair to stop myself moving my hand because it hurt that much. That is incredible. I've got one tiny tattoo in my arm. I'm never doing that. Don't recommend My, my final question is, what is your, this can be social media related, it could be life related, it could be anything, but what is your one biggest lesson that you've learned in life that you think everybody should try and live by in their lives? Try to be just blindly optimistic. Yeah. I think it's so easy to be pessimistic. It's so easy to get into a negative mindset. Mm. And it's around us everywhere. You're, it's like you're constantly being pulled to negativity. Mm. Every single time I've just looked at a situation and thought of a positive, mm. it's helped. And that's kind of my go-to. No matter what happens, I'm always just like, okay, find a positive in this. Find something that I can hold on to that's going to get you through it and run with it. And, and nine times out of ten, it's worked with me. So... That has been one of the most optimistic, rawest, just just mo most open and educational podcasts that I've ever done. So thank you. And thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me.